0: Hello, everybody. This is Rob Fredette with the podcast HodgePot, and I have a return guest who was on my last episode. But what happened was we had such a great conversation. The second half did not record. Flobo Boyce joins me, and he is gracious enough in his busy schedule to join me to talk MLB baseball parks, uh, the bucket list. We're going to talk about his visit to Cooperstown, the recent Hall of Fame inductees, and just baseball and all that good stuff. So Flobo, welcome to my podcast again. And thank you for fitting me in because I don't know what happened last time.
1: I'm just glad I was invited a second time. Usually <laughs> I go on the show, people go, thanks, for, but no. no thanks, don't come back. But no, this you a were, lot of
0: fun. You were dynamite, man. I loved it. It was awesome. It was awesome. So uh, we talked about some ballparks in the previous episode, but... While I was getting ready for tonight, I had thought about, back in 1982, my father got my brother and I tickets to go see the 1982 All-Star Game in Montreal Olympic Stadium. And I guess I could put that on the list for visiting a stadium, but that was a tremendous experience for me. I'll never forget it. It was the 82 All-Star Game, and I'm wearing my commemorative hat. I haven't worn it in 42 years, but... uh, that was wow. a lot of fun and uh, I really enjoyed it. And if you ever have a chance flow, to go with an all-star game, it is absolutely lights out.
1: I was so close to going in, in 23, Uh I went to and i going to Seattle in April instead of July, but I was like, oh man, I have have just waited or rearranged my schedule. That's the closest I've been. Not sure where I'm going this year, but you're absolutely right. You have to go to a home run derby. You have to go to an all-star game. It's kind of sad that when it was in Dodger stadium, which is my local park here, <laughs> I have no inkling to go because parking was so bad. <laughs> I'll go one
0: time. That is unbelievable. I just found that to be that all-star game. Uh, Dave Concepcion, I remember hit a home run in left field and we did see in the left field area. I remember that home run. I remember Olympic Stadium, a massive stadium, massive concourses, and the game was tremendous. And just real quick, here are some of the players, the starters for the AL and NL. Dennis Eckersley was the starting pitcher. Carlton Fisk was the catcher with the White Sox. Cecil Cooper, Bobby Gritch of the Angels, George Brett, Robin Yount, Ricky Henderson, Fred Lynn, and Reggie Jackson were the American League All-Stars. The National League All-Stars, now it was Montreal, he had four All-Stars in the starting lineup for the Expos, and the Expos in the early 80s were just dynamite. Um, Steve Rogers was the starting pitcher. Gary Carter, one of the greatest catchers of all time. Pete Rose, Manny Trio, Mike Schmidt, Dave Concepcion, who won the MVP that year, Tim Rock Rains, Andre Dawson, and Dale Murphy. So those are pretty hefty uh, All-Stars back in 1982. I kind of had fun looking at that today.
1: It's interesting because Tom. time... Uh, I I was born after that, <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Those <laughs> people were uh, all legends by the time I came around. That's kind of cool. You get to see him play live.
0: That <laughs> is, uh, I remember that game because uh, Tim uh, Raines played for the Yankees after his, his uh time in Montreal. Then Andre Dawson had some great years with the Chicago Cubs. Dale Murphy won back to back MVPs in the eighties, and he's still not in the Hall of Fame, which I think he should be. But the Excellent. Expos in the early eighties. Now they're the Washington Nationals. They had a tremendous lineup up and down from one through nine. They got close in the playoffs and hopefully to get to the playoffs. They never could crack that get to the World Series. And they also had another outfielder, called Ellis Valentine, who was a tremendous player as well. But great All-Stars back then. And the All-Star game is always fun to
1: watch, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it is kind of the, the last ration of what we all thought baseball to be. Like, I, I know that it's an evolution and we all impart our own nostalgia to things, but the idea <laughs> in the middle of the summer, like guys play an exhibition game, you come out with your hot dog all over the country come together to support the game and that a certain team is always great. I will say this though, the eighties or um, Expos teams, uh, I think only saw on film by the time I came around, just for for context, the the Expos had to become a joke. It was like, Oh, Canadians don't care about baseball. No one's going to the games, but it seems very much that that wasn't the case at one time. And I wonder if if that country, if Canada can support a second team in the future.
0: I think they could. They were really Mm -hmm. a great team in the eighties. I mean, they got close. That outfield of Tim Raines, Andre Dawson, and Ellis Valentine was just off the charts. And Gary Carter, of course, played with the Mets in the 86 World Series, so he was a tremendous catcher. But those Expos teams and those uniforms were just classic, classic uniforms.
1: Absolutely. That red, white, blue, can't match that. Can't beat that at
0: all. (laughs) And that stadium, Olympic Stadium, was the stadium used in the 1976 Olympics, so they converted it to a baseball stadium like they did in Atlanta with Turner Field, uh, they made that into a baseball stadium as well. So
1: we uh, Did we're, you sit up close or did you go, were you in the rafters? Like Where did you sit?
0: We sat in the left field bleachers right near the foul line. I remember we were probably about 15 rows up, but it was just being there was just in, incredible. Like when you're growing up as a teenager and you're watching your all-stars, you've grown up when you're a kid, it was just phenomenal. Like Mike Schmidt, Dave Concepcion, Pete Rose. Yeah, it, the left field, I remember the, the crowd was going crazy. And it was just a tremendous, tremendous event. And the National League was always kicking the AL's butt every year back then. I mean, it was all NL all the time.
1: Yeah. The the senior circuit mattered. Like, I... (laughs) Until... Pitcher started throwing 300 miles per hour or with bionic elbow that had to get reconstructed. Uh, it, the NL was like a big deal because it was such a managerial strategic kind of ball that it was kind of fun to watch. I was, uh, I was holding on to no DH for the longest time and I goes, yeah, we have to switch that like, really <laughs> recently, but I, I thought the NL circuit was so, so strong for a reason.
0: Yep. And, uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about some parks we didn't talk about last time. And, uh, Uh, I'm looking forward to, my wife and I have decided, we're going to go check out Cincinnati this year to go see the Reds play, Ellie De La Cruz. So uh, I don't know if you've been watching baseball last year. Before the Reds, uh, Ellie De La Cruz came on board. They were not drawing, but they were selling out games left and right last year. So he is like the new sensation in baseball.
1: Yeah, I'll swear on a plate of skyline chili. Look, going into the last season, <laughs> we thought the Cardinals would be on top, and since you'd be an afterthought, and the other thing happened, they flip flop, which is crazy. Haven't seen a team that young. I know they say they're ahead of schedule. I don't quite believe in that. I feel like it's a fight every year, but they are trending upwards. Cincinnati has a nice young core. It's a fun kind of ball. We haven't seen that since the last days of the Big Red Machine, right? So I got to say that, man. I, I, I'm i excited. I want to go see them this year. I've had the chance to uh, I want to put that on my schedule. Let's see if it works out.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I cannot wait. We're going to try to fit in a Bengals game. Once the uh, football schedule comes out, I think they come out in March in the NFL. So we're going to try to hopefully fit a Reds game and a Bengals game, but I can't wait to add another ballpark to that list. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that and seeing uh Dela Cruz play. That should be fun. So, are the bar- How many
1: parks would that be if you go? If you it'll go, it will be 30, 40?
0: Well, now I had 18, but I didn't count uh, Olympic Park um, last time, so it's 19. It It'll be 20. be 20. And I, I know oh, wow. Olympic yeah. Park, Stadium is not around anymore, but nonetheless, it, I have to check that off the list because I did see a game there, but uh, it will be 20 uh, with Cincinnati this year, so getting inching a little bit closer. So so you went to yeah, Cooperstown,
1: yeah. didn't you, recently? What was that like? I did. I I went to Cooperstown in January. Nice. <laughs> sure <laughs> Why did you stop me, Rob? You couldn't be like that was a bad thing. No, that's uh, it, nice. it's kind of a full circle, full circle moment. So I I graduated Flagler College. In fact, I'm wearing the sweatshirt here. It's a small liberal arts college in in Florida. And two of my uh, ed- communication professors. I did a documentary about Baseball Scouts. It's called Fielding Dreams, A Celebration of Baseball Scouts. So I had them on my podcast, uh, do Sam radio. They let slip, hey, look, we are going to uh, screen this film for the first time at the theater at the Baseball Hall of Fame. And they said, look, it's going to be us. It's kind of weird if we introduce it, since you're a master of ceremonies, would you want to come out, introduce the film, and then do a and a And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Why not go and write out the entire trip? So I'm from Brooklyn, but I mean, I haven't really been in that part of the state. So flew into Syracuse uh, in January. I make sure I have my hat and gloves and mittens right? because I have my blood (laughs) has thinned out living here in Los Angeles. Uh, Got a four by four smart move because Cooperstown, even though Cooperstown itself is a bigger town for that region. It's essentially a rule. It's like this colonial, sleepy, hollow, early American vibe for miles. Uh, so I I totally understand the, the appeal of the old school ball, but it was so much fun to see old and new clash. The hall is amazing. Uh, the the different exhibits. I was surprised about the kind of exhibits I didn't mm-hmm. think there would be. There's one for video games, one for board games, one for the Savannah Bananas. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's massive, man. <laughs>
0: What was the uh, one? One was the one or two takeaways you got from there, from like the 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 early part of baseball, like the 40s or 50s. Is there anything that's special there when you go to Cooperstown?
1: Uh, and I and I mean this with all due respect, and that is baseball is a reflection of of the country, right? So like how we say when I was a kid, they said baseball was America's pastime, and mm-hmm. it's not. Not untrue. But I do think would, now we have our cell phones and, and football's yeah. getting bigger and baseball's kind of in the mix, but not quite the thing. But I realized walking the halls that it is a reflection of the good and bad. Of America. Yeah, there was segregation. Uh, yeah, the women's leagues were kind of sideshows. Uh, yeah, we treated our foreign players kind of ill until they started making money for us. And yeah, okay, our um, minor league developmental camps are, are kind of exploitive. But at the same time, it has been a bridge to cap for different cities, different cultures. It kept people employed. The park boom, in the jewel box era post Camden Yards shows about American innovation or, or using American materials in, in plans. So like I realize there is a parallel to the maturation of the USA with our national baseball hall of fame. Pretty fun.
0: Yeah. And you know, what's fascinating. I think we talked about the last time when you go to a game, you have different cross sections of society and everybody's there for the main cause of watching the game and everybody's there to have a great time. And uh, we talked about it like, Going to the ballpark, pulling in, seeing people walk in, the buzz around the concourse, the buzz before the game, batting practice, seeing the players throw, run, do their sprints, they're warming up and then you get the, the buzz of the introductions and the players running out. It's all like a it's all like a ceremony, pretty much. It's all like you you go to Seattle, you go to LA, you go to Houston, you're going to see the same same model, but you're going to see it in different parts of the country and I think that's what makes baseball great.
1: You know, you're absolutely right. But I do like the fact that they still find the time to make their own flavors to it. You know, you go to Seattle and was, all the video boards have tridents and waves. <laughs> we go to L.A., they're playing Randy Newman. Like, it's like it's enough differences to make it fun. But, yeah, there is kind of like that, um uh kind of like seeing a bit of home in different cities all across the country. is pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, and Houston, I've been to – uh the uh, Minute Maid Park several times. And I always love that when you go there, when it's closed, when they got that roof closed, it is loud. It is unbelievable how loud that place is when uh, the roof is closed and you have the train when they hit the home run and the Crawford boxes. Sitting out in the Crawford boxes is great. I mean, you're so close. Uh, I went to see a game back, what, 2010. Josh Hamilton was in the outfield. I thought that was just like he was at the top of the game right then. And it was just amazing. Yeah. You just, your eyes are fixated on great players like that. Josh Hamilton, Lance Bergman. You see all these guys play, and now that they're retired, it's nice to say that you did see them play. I think that's great.
1: I actually had the pleasure of going this past year, and it was a, a day in late August, so the roof was closed because humidity was like 3,000%, and, and it was dark because it was raining all day, and it, I guess because it was dark outside, and the roof was closed, it was almost like a sensory overload, the light seemed brighter, the food seemed tastier. Things did seem louder. It was, it was full on intense, but the coffee boxes are always a good time. You meet so many friends out there, you
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. And it's crazy out there too. It's like not as crazy as sitting out in left field at Yankee stadium, but it's a lot of fun. Um, my wife's sister lives in the Houston area and we used to go to games with them all the time. And we saw, we were walking to one of the games. I forget what year it was. And Drayton McLain, who was the owner at the time, just happened to be walking in. He was walking in with a suitcase and I have a picture here. We took a picture with the owner of the Houston Astros. They said, hey, can we get a picture with you? He said, sure. And he's got his briefcase. He's actually walking into the game. I'm all about, if I see somebody, I'm like, hey, hey, what's going on? Can I get one? I'm one of those guys, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> for better or worse, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you, <laughs> you know. You probably tried- have blueprints for New State or
0: something. <laughs> <laughs> I try to keep it low on the low down now, so um yeah that, but that this cooperstown that must have you're been lucky
1: by the way i was going not jump in you're lucky because i always remember someone after i see them i'm like i wonder who that was oh crap yeah. <laughs> it was that guy you know what I mean? totally yeah, yeah
0: i remember one time <laughs> i was in 2003 i was i was traveling i was working in the food service and i was uh had a layover in atlanta it was 2003 or 2004 and i'm just sitting there at the gate and all of a sudden i see these people walking with suitcases and stuff and it was Chipper Jones, and it was Javi Lopez, and they were coming back from the All-Star game. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, whoa. And, like, I didn't go up to him, well, but I thought that was pretty. It's like, you see those guys. It's like, whoa, that's incredible. I was like.
1: Well, you know, as a Mets fan, every time I see Chipper Jones, I got to say, <laughs> Larry, <laughs> Larry.
0: <laughs> he was a great player, though. He was uh, he was a yeah. great player. Speaking of the Hall of Fame, we have three new inductees this year. Adrian Beltre, mm-hmm. Joe Mauer, and Todd Helton. I think they – Got the three of those guys great uh, into the Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. You know, it's it, it. I was shocked that Adrian Beltre did not go unanimously. I uh, had the pleasure of, of also seeing him, uh, last, last past November. He's a co-owner, co- uh, a, a co-minority co owner of Baseball United as well. Uh, so congrats to him. And I remember on MLB Network Radio on SiriusXM, I listened to that religiously. There was that big debate about whether or not the, the chorus field contingent was going to, uh, hurt against Melton. So that was kind of cool to see that, you know, we are changing when it comes down to who's eligible to go to the hall, I think this year is pretty pivotal. Joe Marrow, too. Like, here's somebody that was a catcher and did fantastically well, but you can tell in all these baseball forms and websites, everyone's using him as a, they let this guy yeah. in, you know, because it's, it's shifting. It's different. You like pitchers don't go nine innings anymore. You know what I mean? Batters don't have 25 year careers anymore. So, we're really about to see what that means. And, and it's kind of cool to see that shift in real time. I know some guys got left out. I know some guys got close. Uh, My guy, David Wright, got 7%. I'll take it. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's happy times.
0: When you think about these three players uh, personified what baseball is all about, you didn't hear about anything about with uh, performance-enhancing drugs. Todd Helton was a quarterback at the University of Tennessee. Joe Maurer could have played football at Florida State. He was an unbelievable athlete in basketball and baseball and football and then Adrian Beltre, he was just a tremendous player, started out with the Dodgers and then had that great run with the, uh, the the Rangers. When you look at those players, I think they got it right, and it's nice to see Todd Helton get in as a Rocky because those Rocky teams in the mid-'90s with Larry Walker, they were a pretty, uh, pretty potent punch. Vinny Castilla and uh, Dante Bichette, unbelievable power yeah. lineup for the uh, Rockies, and it's amazing they didn't do very well or get to the uh, playoffs a lot when they had that lineup.
1: There are certain teams, also Tampa Bay, right? They seem quintessentially '90s. Uh, as a Mets fan, we, again, we we cross cross past the rocks a lot of times, and they always seem to have our number. It always with like the Marlins or the Rockies, always did because <laughs> they did play pretty aggressively. Uh, Coors Field for a couple of years was a fortress, and and I'm so glad that we are now open to getting people from that team. Cause I, you can imagine now, right? If people are saying, oh, man, you know, course feels inflated to numbers. If I'm a young player, why would I want to get signed to the Rocks? You know what I mean? So um, they, I do think the day is coming. They haven't been to the World Series yet. I do think the day is coming, maybe even before the Mariners. Hot take. Uh, but it's cool to see that they have something to celebrate today.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, the, the tremendous uh, class. And then Jim Leland was inducted into the Hall of Fame as a manager when I was working in uh, Florida at Pro Player Stadium. Marlins won the uh, World Series that year, and that was just insane. That whole experience of working the World Series, the, uh, each series, they played the Giants in the, uh, in the wild card round, and they beat the Giants with Barry Bonds, and then they played the Braves, who had th- that stacked lineup: Ryan Klesko, Chipper Jones, you name it. They had a, the, uh, Tommy Glavin, Greg Maddox, John yeah. Smoltz. I mean, those guys were high-powered, and the Marlins just – one in seven games they won seven games in atlanta just a tremendous experience but jim leland you know he had some great runs with pittsburgh and detroit so he definitely is a great inductee as well
1: yeah uh correct to those that got inducted this year Does, was there anyone that didn't make it you were shocked about or, or kind of wishing they got pushed through
0: well, you know, I don't have the list in front of me, but uh, I'm still surprised that players, you don't even hear an inkling of Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Mark McGuire. You don't hear anything about any of those guys. Nothing.
1: Mm-hmm. I find it yeah. kind of. It's... Uh, I, I think that's going to be something that's going to change over time. I do think that those individuals, even though I'm not the biggest Clemens fan, is high, I do think they will be inducted uh, via committee. Uh, sometime in the future because things are shifting. Uh, you look at Pete Rose, um, even though it's a little different when you're on the field and then betting, I think it's, it's kind of, uh, incredulous to say, hey, look, man, you bet it on baseball. There's no way you could be in the Hall of Fame. Brought to you part by BetMGM. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. sports are toiling into that, right? So I do think those men will get there. I'm not sure how or when. I do think it may take a generation for newer writers to come in and, and supplant the older ones. Um, But I'm not concerned about those guys eventually get to the Hall. And that said, though, it's also a museum. I mean, the museum itself takes very care to say this was the PED era of baseball. And they actually have a display about how How throughout the course of history of baseball, how people use different gamesmanship and enhancements to get an advantage. Like baseball, the museum is very open about that. So I do think it's a matter of time.
0: Yeah. One player was Gary Sheffield uh, had uh, played with the Yankees, the Marlins, and also the Padres. Kind of thought he would get in, but I think he'll get in eventually. He was a great player, tremendous power hitter, had all the tools in the outfield as well. And uh, I think he'll eventually get in. I was kind of surprised he did not get in. I remember one game in Mar- in the Marlins in the mid '90s. They were playing the Phillies, and they were down seven to three, and the bases were low in the bottom of the ninth, and he jacked out a grand slam the tide. I'll never forget it. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he yeah. was a uh, the clutch factor, real. Yeah, he was a clutch player. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just interesting that the the players that affected of uh, performance you just don't. It's like they're non existent in some respect
1: right I, I understand that and and here is my thing about halls of fame in general uh take a step back because i'm also a pro wrestling fan i think that's a better example because wrestling itself is scripted is that there's always a debate about who should go in who's first ballot who is not in who doesn't go in it all hall of fames are arbitrary to some degree because you have to decide who has more value even though stats can change but that say you can't delete 15 years of baseball just because of something else if you have to do an asterisk if you can if you have to do like a this came in this era do that but you really you look at especially with barry bonds i mean he had a hall of fame career before he got any kind of suspicion of PED. so again i do think there's going to be a time when those men will be inducted and the shots are wet
0: yep i agree i agree that's a good point it might be a generation Talking about the gambling part, I mean, 30 years ago, you would never hear about gambling at all on TV. And then also there was never a thought or an inkling, and it was kind of like a cardinal sin not to put a professional sports team in Las Vegas just because of the gambling. I mean, I remember that. Absolutely. It's it's just incredible how – how times have changed and like you can't go anywhere on the radio or television without hearing about, about a gambling app or, you know, gamble this, gamble that. And it's just like, it's just saturated now to the point where it's, it's out of control.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, it it is kind of hilarious where like you have the betting apps sponsoring post-game reports or actually talking <laughs> about the actual money line before a game you're like wait a minute this is like them. like you would think that like shady gangsters was saying in a back room somewhere about the vig and the spread and all that but yeah i mean that's just a sign of the times. to yeah. Vegas is a perfect example. I think they've tried and, and to double dip back into gambling and gaming. And I'm no, sorry, try to go back into that specifically. And, and people have moved on. It's kind of like it's a thing to do when money's good, but there's less money around. They have to show up their investment somehow. So now they're leaning back into entertainment, whatever it's the, the aces or the A's or the golden knights. Now there is a bona fide reason for people to come out there. And while you're here, why not bet on the side? as opposed to being like, come on to Vegas, get rich, and then see a show and leave.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm still wondering if Pete Rose will ever get into the Hall of Fame. There's some conjecture, you know, whether he should be or not. So that was, what, 35 years ago? So that is incredible. And just to correct, the Marlins beat the Braves in six games in 1997, okay. not seven games. So I want to correct that. So uh, for the folks out there, I don't know why I said seven, but it was six games. So, but yeah, what other ballparks... Are you going to try to visit this summer? Because uh, I got Cincinnati on my list. So what is on your list to go visit?
1: So the first week of June, I'm doing the East Coast swing. So I am going to land in Baltimore and then take the overnight train to Washington. Uh, so I'll be the Orioles, uh, the Nats, then head over to Philly, see the Phillies. That's a team is called Philly, even though they're in Philadelphia. that's kind of a weird name, right? The LA, Los Angeles, Angeles, and An- Anaheim. Uh, no. And then finally in Boston. So those four. So Baltimore, Washington, Philadelphia, Boston. Uh, I'm trying to see if I can add a couple like loosey goosey ones. Nice. Uh, because basically the, after, <laughs> after that would be the big central road trip, right? The two, to, co- um Ohio, the Toronto, the, the Pittsburghs. You could always drive around, but St. Louis, um, St. Paul is by itself uh, and is kind of by, it's by itself. Toronto is kind of by itself. My ones that are left.
0: Well, wow, that's going to be fun. You'll love Nets park. It's a great uh, ballpark. It's very spacious. Concourses are very spacious. It's a great place. You can uh, see the Capitol. If you're sitting in the upper deck facing out the stadium. Hey. So uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. It's a great place to watch it. And, uh,
1: Cheap seats, I'm getting it, all cheap seats.
0: Yeah, I'm going to get that. I don't know if they have uh, the all-inclusive in Cincinnati, but I'm going to give it a shot. And if they do, we'll do the all-inclusive. But it may do the cheap seats as well because if we get that Bengals game, and that's going to cost a pretty penny. So got to go see yeah. Joe, yeah. go see Joe Burrow. Cheap, No, they're not cheap. They're not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> they're not cheap. Yeah we have a uh, interest of uh, another topic is uh, professional wrestling. And uh, I, (laughs) so I went to, uh, I went, I wanted to talk, talk about a little bit about storylines and, and things of that nature. So what, what part of the wrestling that you like, who were, who are your wrestlers that you follow and, uh, and all that good stuff. And I'll give you mine.
1: Oh, sure. Like follow now or back then. Let's go,
0: let's go, let's go, go a little nostalgia. Let's go back then.
1: Okay, so I always tell people this, there's three elements of professional wrestling. Uh, there's characters, there's wrestling, the moves and the holes in the storylines, and that's how I appreciate wrestling in that order. Um, I think cool characters are what you think about when you try to import ideals from. The Rock was, was confidence, <laughs> John Cena was strength, uh the moves and the holes i love when he body slams this guy or he has this one move where he twists his leg and then if a story is compelling enough you can be hooked like a story like a soap opera uh that's kind of way i look at it first so uh, the character has to be on point as a kid now just for a context i was born in 1985 and i got into wrestling in 1992 93 uh, i was into razor ramon i was into tatanka uh and, and mm-hmm. Duke the Dumpster Drosy. Because I think I thought, wow, Duke Josie was so strong that he picks up trash in the week and wrestles on the weekends. I mean, <laughs> that guy was the strongest guy ever in wrestling. And that was my favorite ones growing up. Uh now I, I like I'm a shameless guy. I like Carmelo Hayes. I, I do like um what's going on in SmackDown with LA Knight. Uh, I'm a big Roman Reigns guy as well. It's kind of mm-hmm. like open to the actual show and spectacle now, but back then I was a character guy.
0: Yeah, it was uh, back in the 80s, early 80s. I remember going to the old Boston Garden scene, Andre the Giant, Paul the w- Mr. Wonderful Orndorff, Chief J Strongbow, Junkyard Dog, all those characters and wrestlers back when it was called the WWF. It was Correct. the old days and uh those were uh you had the TV shows and you had you had some house shows, but I remember going to those wrestling matches and like here in Memphis, you know, Jerry the King Lawler was huge and still is huge here. So wrestling had a, has a legacy here in Memphis, Tennessee. But Boston and New York definitely, Boston especially, had a huge following for wrestling um, in the early 80s. And then when I go to the 90s, I have to say the best storyline of all time is the NWO and WCW. And I had to go back and look today. July seventh, nineteen 1996, Daytona Beach. It consisted of... Hollywood Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash and Sixpack. And I I'll tell you what, that was the best storyline when Hollywood Hulk Hogan turned bad guy. I loved it. It was awesome.
1: Who's the third man? Uh just it's it's funny you mention that because I, I was in Memphis like a couple of years ago, six years ago now. Uh the only bad time I had in Memphis was eating the food at Jerry Lawler's. But the billion was great. Uh it's funny because cause, cause wrestling was one of those things that I got through my dad. My dad, my parents are immigrants. Uh, they came to the United States in the 70s in New York. And so I don't have to tell you that New York in the 70s wasn't the best place on earth, right? You see the Warriors, right? Uh, but my dad, being an immigrant from the West Indies, when he went to the Garden to watch wrestling, and he swears back then, wrestling was real back then, uh, his guy was, was Chief J. Strongbow. Um, and it was funny because he sat in the crowd and felt like he was an American. Like, no one cared where he was from. Right. No one cared about his accent. During a wrestling that we all cheered for Chief Jay Strongbow. Uh, and I messed up. I told him that Chief Jay Strongbow wasn't actually Native American. He was he was an Italian guy. He was Italian that Vince McMahon uh, Sr. was like, hey, look, we already got Bruno San Martino. We don't need two Italians. Be something else. <laughs> but I kind of killed him to seek for him. But, but the idea was like you you don't care who you are or where you came from. We all came, we bought a ticket, we saw the spectacle, we went home, and we talked about our friends and our at work the next Monday, about who beat who with what move, and that's so cool about combat, uh especially entertainment with wrestling, you know,
0: yeah, and the way the w w f back in the mid eighties we there was the cold war between the United States and the Soviet Union. So Hulk Hogan was all the real American, came out with the video with Rick Derringer and the motorcycle and the kids coming around the motorcycle. If you got to check that video out, it's a great song, but it's a cool video and Hulk's Mm -hmm. playing the guitar. He's probably, I don't know if he's playing the guitar really, but it was a great, great video and it really personified. He was going against the Russian uh, Volkov. I think it was his name. And then he had the Iron Sheik. You had the Iron Sheik, and you had that dynamic of United States, Soviet Union, Cold War. Somehow, I mean, it was pretty. The crowd was totally into it. As far as you know, when he would wrestle uh, Volkov of the Soviet Union, or the Iron Sheik, or Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant was a massive, massive human being. I saw him at the old Boston Garden. He was just massive.
1: Oh, yeah, that's what I hear. I haven't had the pleasure, but yeah, I see the pictures and and things for scale. And I go, Oh my goodness, like the, how he held a beer can, like in the middle of the palm of his hand and all that. Uh, well, I do like, I like the fact that the storylines do take a little bit of of realism. Um, when I came up, there was the whole beat up your boss, right? Austin versus McMahon or when Jack Swagger became a Tea Party, uh, candidate and it was the, the we the people, the, 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 the next America stuff and, 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 and even Muhammad Hassan when he was considered a Muslim American person who was a victim of prejudice in his own country because he was Muslim. There is a bit of fun with, with realism and twisting it for wrestling, because these are conflicts that we want to see played out in a physical nature. Cause things like freedom and harmony, they're, they're nice concepts. But if you see a body slam from freedom, you go, yeah, USA, take <laughs> <laughs> that guy down. And it's so much fun to watch, man. It really is. And it's kind of a reflection like baseball onto ourselves.
0: Yeah, it is. And you know, when you think about like the, I always used to love the uh, NWO when they would uh, come out in the ring I remember there used to be a few episodes when they start Monday Nitro and they'd have like these two no-name guys wrestling, okay? And then all of a sudden after about 30 or 40 seconds into the mat, you'd have you'd have the NWO music coming out and they come down and like body slam the wrestlers and be standing over them with their feet on their chest like NWO and it was <laughs> I thought that was yeah. like, I thought that was great and when uh, Goldberg came on the scene it was Goldberg versus the NWO, and then that famous match uh, in Atlanta in July of 1998 uh, when uh, he uh, beat Hulk Hogan for the, uh, the championship, that, the Georgia Dome was completely sold out. I remember that. I'll, I'll check up on it every now and then on YouTube. But uh, Goldberg was just like spearing and tackling people, like destroying people week after week
1: talk about wish fulfillment, right? How many times have we sat in a meeting he's like, look, this is a waste of my time. I want to flip this table and walk out. That's what NWO was doing. But when we're kids and we're in the sandbox playing with our G.R. Joe's, or Barbie's, not here to judge. We kind of put things together. That was kind of our Goldberg. Here's somebody who comes out, beats everybody up, and that was it. And you have these two forces. (laughs) The the epitome of cool and disruption and this, 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 this unstoppable force having this matchup. I mean, that that pays money, you know, and it was kind of cool to see that in my lifetime. I was, I was a, a preteen, which is pretty much the ideal demographic for pro wrestling. Cause I'm hooked for life now. Uh, it was great. Yeah.
0: You know? I remember when uh, Goldberg came on the scene, he was wrestling Bam Bam Bigelow. He wrestled all these guys who were supposed to be bad dudes and things like that. And uh, he would just go ahead and spear them. And I mean, these guys I'm not kidding. These guys were literally like gasping for air. He mean, I'm surprised he didn't kill somebody with those tackles, those spears that he did. It was just, it was incredible. I remember he did one to Jericho, Chris Jericho as well. And it was just, uh, it was just unbelievable. I always liked that dynamic of Goldberg against the NWO. I always thought that that was, uh, that was great.
1: Yeah, uh, who's next? Uh, I know Bret Hart didn't like that at all, but, uh, yeah, you're right. And I, and people always, uh, drag WCW for saying, look, Goldberg was the only star they created, but it, it is really hard to capture the collective imaginations of people, especially now where everyone kind of identifies with what they believe in and who they vote for it's very hard to get everyone behind a guy and goldberg was one of the few guys to do that and to do that for so long to the fact that when he was brought back by the wwe a couple years ago in his early 50s because he wanted to show his kid that he used to wrestle people (laughs) were still on board because there were just all these core memories of him doing that when when they were younger
0: I remember in the midnight it was like 90 from like 95 to 99 every Monday night I'd watch Nitro and then I'd Tape Raw and then I'd watch it the Tuesday afterward too just to make sure I didn't miss anything but uh, I always loved it and I also loved WCW. I remember there was an episode where they had all the wrestlers at the uh, TD Garden in the midnight. I think it was like 96 or 97. And they used to have these cutaways at the end of the thing. And like, there was like 50 wrestlers in the, in the walkway to the ring and the ring, they're all punching each other. And I thought that was great. I haven't seen that on YouTube, but I remember that it was all these guys just beating the hell out of each other. I thought that was pretty cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. I always would that question. If, if you hate somebody and you're backstage, why not fight them there? <laughs> <laughs> like this, you were, like, in the bathroom, like, you know what? I don't like your face. And <laughs> such a swinger. Yeah, I always
0: <laughs> felt uh, the WWE, uh, WWE and the uh, WCW. Um, it was a good competition in the mid-'90s. And uh, WCW had the ratings there with the NWO. That that storyline was just phenomenal. It was just like you had to watch it. And just like Hulk Hogan, I mean, he was a huge, huge player. Uh, good guy before he went to the nwo he was massive i think he's probably the most popular in my opinion one of the the most popular wrestler
1: in the history of professional wrestling how did you if you take the hollywood hogan part of his career out so let's say the hulk uh, hulkamania rock wrestling doesn't doesn't exist the voodoo child doesn't exist if you just had hollywood hogan is hollywood hogan alone worthy of a hall of fame entry
0: uh i believe so And I think he is because, uh, you know, he wrestled the likes of Andre the Giant, and he wrestled. But I think his popularity was absolutely off the charts, number one. Um, He connected with young children, and he didn't seem like a bad guy. And I think that he really was the good guy, and I think he's probably at the top of the list. If you had to just with professional wrestling, I think he would be at the top of the list. As far as number two, um, you could have a debate, maybe. Remember, oh, yeah, macho man, Randy Savage.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, so many Slim Jims were eaten because of that. So I told him, Slim I'm gym here.
0: <laughs> and uh, Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan, let me tell you
1: something, brother. <laughs>
0: right. I used to like it's, that. It's
1: funny because uh, I, as someone I grew up in New York, right, so my local wrestling federation was World Wrestling Federation. So the time I got to be a fan, he was already gone. Hogan was already down south uh, in WCW. So my first memories of Hogan was a guy from Thunder in Paradise. <laughs> you <can> Imagine that. <laughs> so imagine knowing a guy from a, a boat, a talking boat show and then seeing him wrestle.
0: So, you know, when he became the, the, the part of the NWO, I mean, he was really like he totally uh, changed his appearance. He changed uh, – he had, like, the black scruffy mark. He got rid of, like, the blonde hair. He had the black clothes and the black wrestling tights and all that stuff. And uh, it really added to it, the new bandana on the head because he used to have the headband. And uh, I saw him uh, wrestle. They had a uh, wrestling match. It was called King of the Ring, or local radio station in Boston, did it in 85 or 86. And we had ringside seats. And I have some pictures of him, Orndorff, Junkyard Dog. I got to find those but I got one with his uh, tank top shirt, American made, and he's holding a flag and he's walking by. I got to find that photo, but uh, he was massive.
1: yeah, I mean, I think the, there was a bit of a tease this week on on WWE Raw programming about uh, the Royal Rumble's coming up this Saturday as I record this. And so Hulk Hogan is like, you'll never know. I may be in one. And I'm like, really? Are you kidding me, bro? You're like 65. You know what I do love, too?
0: I love it, too, when they bring back, like, wrestlers from the previous uh, generations or previous decades, um, and they bring them back on to the current one, like uh, when they bring back uh, Shawn Michaels, or Kurt Angle, or the the nostalgia part is really tremendous. I think Shawn Michael had the best entrance song of all time. I I think it was just the way he came in, the song, everything. I think it's just, I think it was the best entrance
1: uh, correction hogan 70 yeah i think every wrestling fan at some point has looked in the mirror and said hands off the merchandise like it's kind of like a ride of passage. i'm sorry i i'm sure i'm sure you, you have a lovely wife but she's not in the room you do one of these <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh i i saw something the other day Wrestling's going to be going to uh wwe going to be going to netflix is that correct
1: yeah, so just to, I'm not sure if your fans are wrestling fans. So WWE has three brands yeah. Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. Wow. Uh, I kind of watched them all religiously. And so each of them have different TV rights. So NXT was on USA, it's moving to CW. SmackDown was on Fox, it's moving to USA. Uh-huh. And Monday Night Raw is moving over to Netflix. And if you live outside the US, the entire WWE library is moving over to Netflix, starting wow. in January. So the flagship show is going streaming. There's been a bit of debate there, because on one hand, WWE got twice as much money per episode. It's on a platform. It's established like Netflix. But on the other hand, if you're a strictly a cable person, like most of us who live in rural communities are, Netflix is not at the expense if you haven't had it already. So there's been kind of back and forth about that. But yeah, January 2025, bam, it's Netflix City for Money Night Raw.
0: Wow. So... That is incredible. I love talking wrestling. Uh, one other story I remember when I was living in Miami in '95, we went to a house show at the old Miami Arena, and it was a house show. And uh, we got there, and the guy, the guy I was with, I worked with, we were there. He says, "See that guy there? That's uh, a The Rock. That's Dwayne Johnson. There. He uh, used to play football at the University of Miami in a house show, and like 30 years later, he's like the number one star, movie star in the world, and one of the most recognizable people in the world. So
1: it's amazing how
0: he has transformed."
1: Oh, hold on, Rob. Hold on. I'm hold serious. On. On. Stop. Stop. Stop the bus. No, 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 no. no. I, I agree with that part. But, but you were in Montreal for the All Star Game. You live in Memphis. You live in Miami. What? How many lives have you lived there, Rob? Well, you know, I, are, are you a superhero? Are no, you a spy? What's nah, going
0: on? I'm not a spy. I see. <laughs> when you work, like back in the day, when you worked, then when I worked in Miami, we could get we used to get free tickets from the beer companies cause we worked that we were able to get free passes and things, free game, free, free tickets. So yeah, it's just, I, I remember doing, seeing that and it was a lot of fun. And, uh, I still remember him saying, you know, that that's Dwayne Johnson. I was like, and then like all of a sudden it's like, I look back at that day and look at him, but yeah, it's, uh, I try to do different things. I try to see different things. I like looking at uh the inner workings, having worked in the business for a while, I like the inner workings like checking out the arenas and the stadiums and the pregame and all that stuff. And of obviously the game and people watch as well. So I, I try to do it all. But yeah, it's uh it's been it's been a, it's been fun and I you know, I enjoy it. <laughs> it's not the conventional. Nothing more way.
1: valuable than a yeah. There's nothing more valuable than life. Life well lives, man. That's congrats, but meet the rock. Sheesh. That's yeah, but that
0: was, but that, but that was like, I, I couldn't believe it. It was like he, he, he had lived in Miami all his life. So he had watched hurricane football. So he knew all the players and he said, pointed him out and he said, that's uh the rock. He could be the next great one. So, and lo and behold, you know, almost 30 years later, he's uh, part of the UFL. The Memphis Showboats will be playing this year. I'll go check out a couple of games uh, so I'm looking forward yeah. to that. So,
1: Wait, how do you feel about that? Because I was a hardcore XFL person, and I'm kind of bummed out about this merger. I don't know.
0: Uh, I'm a USFL guy. Um, I'm nostalgic because I remember the early 80s when they came out with the New Jersey Generals and the Boston Breakers uh, had a team. They played at Nickerson Field at Boston University when they came out in the early 80s. They wouldn't let them play at uh, Foxborough, Sullivan Stadium, but... Uh, I'm more of a nostalgia guy, but I like the USFL. I'm glad they kept the Showboats. That's the original uh, USFL uh, franchise. So I think it's going to be good, buying these. Hopefully they can get a strong uh, turnout. So this year I'm going to plan on going to a couple of games at the Liberty Bowl and uh, checking it out.
1: All right. Well, I I'm, I'm tired of picking teams cuz in XFL 1, <laughs> I was a Memphis Maniacs guy, XFL 2, the New York Guardians, XFL 3, I was Seattle Sea Dragons and I'm just like, oh, I'm just burnt. <laughs> you
0: know? I like the Memphis Showboats. I like I like the nostalgic, you know, the part of it uh, Reggie White played for them before he went to the Packers, but I think that'll um, do well and um they did that announcement on TV a few weeks ago as a matter of fact. So, I thought that was pretty neat. Mm-hmm. So, Talk about your podcast yeah. Yeah. as well. Um, you've interviewed some, uh, you've had a chance to talk to some great uh, athletes, I presume, and uh, talk about your podcast because I'm really looking uh, forward to hearing about that again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I actually have multiple, but, uh, but the one you're referring to is one called the Black Baseball Mixtape. Uh, that's a show that takes a look at baseball through the lens of fans of color. Uh, it's not my show. I'm a contributor on it. I'm a co-host on it. Uh, Mark Cheatham, aka Cheats. That's his baby. Uh, he started two, two years ago, launched with a blog and it's grown by so much. I mean, they linked up. We've linked up with the Players Alliance, uh, CC Sabathia, Chris Grandison, that group, uh, MLB is aware of wow. us. We're the ones that part to go to uh, Dubai to cover the Baseball United launch. We went to the Bahamas in December to cover Jazz Chisholm, Don't Blink in Paradise, Home Run Derby. It's become a real media platform because there wasn't a platform for black fans at baseball, that wasn't, that was beyond just asking, where's black people in baseball, which is a good and valid question, but we want something a bit more robust. We want to be able to be a destination for those fans of color. So being able to have a community on Discord and our, we had community conversations on Sundays and I had a chance to speak with Barry Larkin and Adrian Beltray and Albert Pujols. Jeez. Uh, just, to, just to name a few, it's been a lot of fun. A cool ride for as long as I've been a part of the group.
0: God, you got it pretty awesome too, Adrian Beltray. Yeah. Yeah, you got uh, Albert Pujols and Barry Larkin. I mean, you can't go wrong with those three. That must have been a great
1: experience. It, it was a great experience, but you know what's really cool? That they just want to be like liked. <laughs> it, it's like they're like us. <laughs> they have feelings. Like, like you don't know how to approach it, right? I was used. You would think they'd be one way, but they everyone's been so cool. But uh, I got a chance to speak with them because they know what's at stake. They know that they have what they contributed, what they mean to people. They also know that it's a blessing in their dream to make it to that level for that long. It's a really cool conversation that we had a couple of times having them on the show.
0: That is incredible. So do, how did you have to book them? How far do you have to book them in advance? Or do you, is it something that you had to do like when you were at that the functions?
1: So everything's a little bit different. So like the, the prospects and the, the executives, I mean – Prospects are always available because they need to play ball. Executives can play a little bit of that that corporate tag. You know, uh, the time I got a, t- a chat with those guys, uh, pool and them, that was they were all investors in Baseball United, which was the uh, the league out there in, in the Middle East in Southern Asia. So I went out there to cover the showcase last November, and there were times during the day where they would walk the field and then and see how the investment's going. and I would just pull them aside and say, Hey, look, two minutes of your time, I promise I won't bore you. And if I do, you're allowed to walk away mid-question, as I would tell them to break the ice. What? <laughs> and I'll give these <laughs> questions to make sure they don't they Stick with
0: it. So that's uh, awesome. That is <laughs> tremendous. That is and uh I hope to uh get to see the, the Reds this year. Ellie De la Cruz. Um I remember one sequence last year. He is like the most dynamic young player in baseball where he stole second base, third base, and home, like within like I don't know. It was incredible. It was just like I have to go back and look at it. It was just the most one of the most dynamic plays I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting how a team that can be seen as underachieving, only is a very, very small spark. I mean, Ellie's one person, uh, the Reds fell out right before the playoffs, so they weren't even a playoff team. But that summer, that's all you're talking about was, man, the NL Central is up for upheaval because the Cardinals could have put two and two together after Yad and Molina retired. But then you have this reason, like I call it the, the souvenir cup quotient. All right. That's why I love David Wright so much because there was dark times in Queens, mm-hmm. but David Wright showed up every day and he played this hard out and people people will cling to that and go, Hey, look, if we're losing, it's one thing, but at least this guy's trying. No one likes going to a game where a team is not even trying and they lose. And so it's so much fun. Hope they get to see more of the success next year.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm looking. Hopefully, we get to see him. But uh, he hit uh, 13 home runs, 44 ribbies, and 91 hits. But uh, this year, I think he's going to break it out, and I'm looking forward to it. But I find that fascinating about the players that you talked to. That was that's pretty awesome. I mean, Albert Pujols, one of the top players in baseball history. That must have been off your your bucket list.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's funny because my bucket list only has one person on it. One and a half. One and a half, because I say one and a half because the other one was Bartolo Colon, and he was there, but I didn't really know what to ask him. So I (laughs) failed. (laughs) I had my chance and screwed it up. Uh, But when I was a kid, I was a big Frank Thomas guy. And I, if I got a chance to talk to Frank Thomas, then I can say that I've hit everyone I always wanted to. So that I think that one might be the starstruck one for me.
0: Really cut off on the last episode we were talking about. You had a story. There's a story that about Ken Griffey Jr. saying he would rather retire than play for the Yankees. I find, is that story? Because I find it to be unbelievable.
1: Oh, Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny because we're talking about the Reds, right? Cause that's where Junior eventually went to. And he's still getting paid by the Reds, by the way. He's like the fourth highest player on that team. Uh, shy deferred contracts. But during the free agency period after Seattle, there was a talk about, Hey, will will Junior go to the Yankees? And, and the story went that at the time, uh, Junior said, look, I would rather retire than play for the Yankees. Like, what do you mean by that? That's all I'm saying. Professional. Uh, years later, it had come out that. When his dad, uh, King Griffey Sr., played for the Yankees later in his career, that he would go to work and hang out with dad. And on a given day, he would go out in the dugout, maybe, you know, chat up with dad, hang out with him, chew sunflower seeds, shot a couple balls or whatever. And they got pulled aside one day. Uh, uh-huh. Sr. did. And said, Hey, look, we're not allowing any kids in the dugout. You have to clear out your son just as for safety reasons or whatever. Meanwhile, other players who were not the same skin color as the Griffies had their kids like in the outfield on the grass having a good time. And, and the way Junior tells it, he goes, I saw the defeat in my dad's eye. Like, look, it is what it is, man. I'm late in my career. I'm just here to get my check and, and put my head wow. down. But he knew Junior knew back then that he could not support an organization that would support that kind of behavior. So it's a lot of truth to that. Ken Griffey Jr. said, "Look, I will do anything. but play for the New York Yankees." And well, I was never huge on, on Griffey. I think then when I heard that story, I was like, "Yep, that guy's an old timer."
0: Yeah, and uh, <laughs> the '95 ALDS against the Yankees, I think that pretty much epitomized it. Five home runs against the Yankees. They came back from going down 0-2, win it in five games in a dramatic. Bottom of the bottom of the ninth uh, play, where Edgar Martinez drove him home uh, from first base, and uh, absolutely incredible uh, series that was with the Yankees in uh, 1995. If you want some good adrenaline, watch the last inning, bottom half of that inning. It's about seven minutes on YouTube. That'll get your juices flowing for baseball season. It's one of the most dramatic series, playoff series in baseball history. And uh, Griffey had that run from first base to home plate. Absolutely spectacular run, dramatic run. You can't put enough words on it. That run where he slid in and then he's jumped up and A-Rod grabs him. And they, he gets mobbed at home plate. I find that to be pretty cool.
1: That's what makes baseball cool, man. Swing man. The kid. Love
0: it. The kid. I remember Brent Musburger. The kid has done it again. Put it on the scoreboard! I remember that. That that was great. But that that Kingdome boy, that thing, that place was rocking. That place was rocking in '95, And they used to have these overhead shots where they threw the fireworks looking down, and you'd see Griffey running around after his home run trot. I thought that was great, great uh, camera angle right there with the crowd going crazy. So thought that was pretty yeah. cool that's a tremendous story that just like unbelievable i mean he remembers that all these years and i think maybe that had a little adrenaline in 95 for him i really do now that i've heard that yeah story... you know there
1: was one oh that totally works out i mean we all want a little chip on our shoulder but we never think about how we got that chip
0: is there a player you think that may have a chip on their shoulder as they played that had a great career maybe they got overlooked
1: uh, so I, it's funny you say that because on the black baseball mixtape, I have become the biggest Tommy Fam cheerleader <laughs> ever. Uh, Tommy Fam is a guy that if you don't know his story or what he's about, all you hear is the bad stuff. You heard about him being stabbed at a strip club, you hear about him punching out Jock Peterson at a game, uh, all these bad things. But then you think about here's somebody who is. Is from a mixed heritage, right? He's, he's a quarter Vietnamese, quarter black, quarter white, or half white. Uh, his dad is not even in his life. So he basically raised himself for uh, out of Las Vegas, has a degenerative eye condition. He is literally going blind every single day. <laughs> And has to go and do extra batting practice to calibrate his vision to play. And he's still the better hitter uh, in baseball. In July of 2023, he was second in the majors in OPS behind Shohei Otani. Are you kidding me? Like That That's guy a- is like get nearly as recognition that he deserves. I'm a huge Tommy fan fan. Chip on his shoulder. See his interviews. They're so rough around the edges. Takes you back to the 80s of baseball. Love it.
0: That is unbelievable. I have not heard I can't believe I haven't heard that story. That is a remarkable story. That I'm going to watch him Yeah, wa- YouTube. Like tell me fam eye disease. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to keep I'm going to watch him this upcoming season. I can't wait. Spring training is just around the corner. We're talking probably what 2 or 3 weeks before pitchers and catchers report.
1: And then you got, and he's the... currently a free agent and I don't know why. And I don't know why. Yeah, who... And I'm, okay. So last year, last year he was a Met and yep. the big athletic thing came out where he was like, the Mets don't work hard enough. And that was the big pull. Oh pull. yeah. But he was right because he, he had a certain way of doing things. And I guess we got complacent in our, in our thing. And I remember Francisco Lindor, which I consider my captain, even though no one else does says, thank you for teaching me how to work hard again, but go to Arizona and Arizona, this 80 plus win team go to the world series. That's not a coincidence, Rob. Not a
0: coincidence. Uh, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, players, you know, change the scenery and, you know, maybe he spoke the truth because the Mets were favored last year with, uh, was it Furlander Scherzer's pitchers? And then they had that mm-hmm. lineup and then halfway through, they just started selling, you know, when they, it, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's, it, it's Adam,
1: amazing. Yeah. I get it. <laughs>
0: it's just the amazing, the amazing Mets. They used to call them the amazing Mets, but, uh, yeah, that's right. incredible. But, uh, well, Flobo, um, I want to thank you very much for coming back on. And um, I know that uh, your schedule is very busy. And, uh, we, and where can you hear your podcast?
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. Anytime to have an excuse to yell into a microphone, just say the word. (laughs) Uh, So many different podcasts. You can hear my voice on You can probably just Google it at this point. But the one we mentioned today, is called the black baseball mixtape with uh, Mark Cheech Cheatham. Make sure you follow that at black baseball mixtape on Instagram. I usually do most of my content as kind of a man of the street thing on the Instagram page. So at black baseball mixtape on Instagram, check out that content. All
0: right. Well, uh, Flobo, thanks a lot. Peace. And uh, I hope, uh, Hope to talk to you again maybe when baseball's rolling in the summer. All right, catch you later.